Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a delight it is to be here together today with you all on this somewhat cloudy fall morning, but it is fall indeed. If you are a first-time visitor this morning, I especially welcome you, and I'd love to meet you. I'll be outside the uh, under the portico right through those doors back there. Or if you're not a first-time visitor, I'd love to chat with you as well. Uh, the Lord has brought us here this morning, and He's brought us here to worship Him, and worship Him we shall. But first, let me just bring your attention to a few announcements, and I'm going to start off by saying the same thing that I said last week. Be aware of your bulletin. Okay, if you want information about the things that are going on, they were scrolling on the screen, but the bulletin has lots of different dates, lots of different things going on. Um, like, for instance, we have a session meeting today at 4 p.m. Youth group is today at 5.30. There is no Little Lambs, but speaking of youth group and Little Lambs, next week we have an outing plan. We're going to enjoy lunch together here at church immediately after Sunday school. Um, and then we're going to be going to the pumpkin patch and to the corn maze, maybe even the smileys for ice cream after that. So the lambs youth group, be aware of that. Um, other things are going on. Monday midday tomorrow is at 11 a.m. I know it'll be really interesting. Um, there's also a bus trip that is coming up. Letters have gone out to those of you who have been recommended for office. Again, all sorts of things are going on. But I'm going to let you find that out on your own. Again, I welcome you. There is one announcement that I do want to make, however. Um, perhaps you have noticed that it's just been me on Sunday mornings for quite some time. It's not because James has fallen off of the face of the planet or anything like that. But instead, he has actually been going to preach at Edgemont ARP, which is a sister church that is over in Covington, Virginia. Nevertheless, James started preaching with them. Their pastor left. Goodness, I don't know when Donnie left. If time runs together, but several, several months ago, maybe even a year ago, James has been filling in for them. Of course, James has finished his seminary degree. And one of the things that this internship was designed for was to prepare, not only to offer help to our church, but to prepare a man for the ministry. And I'm very pleased to announce that last week, Edgemont voted to call James as their next pastor, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing for him, for Elizabeth, for their family. Um, the, the, the trials of ministry are indeed trials, so to see that pay off and also to see his skills improve in preaching and teaching and all of those things. They're very excited about calling him, and, and we're very excited for him. He is going to be back. He's going to preach one last Sunday coming up on October the 16th. I will be out of town. Um, but nevertheless, we'll do some sort of recognition then. But if you see him, be sure to congratulate him for that and also those from Edgemont. Now, again, there are other things going on, but I'm going to let you find those. What a wonderful thing it is. What a wondrous thing it is that the Lord has given us this time together. So let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. This morning comes not from the Psalms or the Proverbs or even one of the prophets, but instead from a place that may seem odd. However, given the week that it is, that a new season is upon us, it's officially fall. Certainly, the weather has changed out there. Our call to worship is from Genesis chapter 8. This is after uh, the flood, of course. It says, Then God spoke to Noah. Come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. 
And this is what's key. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. And this is it. God said, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. So you see the testimony of God's greatness, the, the power of his glory is on display in all things around us, but especially in the changing of the seasons. For even these testify to his greatness. And my friends, he is the one that we are here to worship today. So let's go to him now in prayer. Our God and our Father, would you guide us now in this time, we are so grateful for your provision, for the way that you work in the world around us, for the fact that it is day and night, that seasons come and seasons go, that we are in this world that is full of change, and yet you do not. As we enter into this time of worship, we pray that you would help us to be mindful of these things, that we would remember why we are here, that we would remember that you brought us here, every one of us, none by accident. And as we focus on you, we pray that we would remember your goodness, your love, your mercy, your provision. And that in all of these things, we would glorify your name. We won't do this without your Holy Spirit. So please guide us by your spirit in this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. And we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Now let's stand together as we continue our worship by turning in the Green Bible Song book, and the words are on the screen, to Bible Song number 205, The Holiness of God. Bible Song number 205. Please stand up.
be seated. Kids, come on down for the children's center. <coughs> Do we have any kids that are coming down? Do we have one great little girl? There we go. <laughs> Have one more? Oh, is, is he waiting on a friend to, to join him? It looks like it. Sometimes there's strength in numbers when it's funny. Kayla. Kayla's past that time, I guess. Well, good morning to you. What are your names? Wyatt and Savannah. Lyle. Wyatt. Wyatt and Anna. That's great. I have a niece named Anna. I don't have anybody I'm related to. <laughs> but I hope that you guys are doing well. Did y'all do anything fun this week? Yeah. You did? What did you do? Um, I went on a slip and slide. It could three people. You went on a slip and slide. I hope the water didn't freeze you. Was it cold? <laughs> I bet it was. Yeah. What about you, Wyatt? Did you do anything fun? Um, you went hunting for, what is it, in both season now? Um, in the beach there. Oh, okay. Did you get anything? Mm -hmm. I guess not. Well, that's okay. Well, let me tell you guys, I did something fun this Hi. week. All right, so Miss Amanda, my wife, and Isabella, my daughter, are out of town. And so when they go out of town, I get to do what I want to do. Especially <laughs> and uh, yesterday, I decided, well, first off, I went and had breakfast with some of our college students. Then I came here, and I reviewed my sermon and made sure I was ready for today. But then... I got in my Jeep, and I went on an adventure. Maybe you've seen it in the parking lot. It's a big black one. It's got big wheels. Normally, it's covered in mud, but I took it to a car wash yesterday because it was so muddy. But <laughs> nevertheless, I decided I was going to go on an adventure, and I really did go on one. I went up to close to, uh, to Highland County, to Monterey, and I found a road that went for miles and miles and miles all the way back to the woods. It had been a long time since anybody had been on that road. But it was amazing because it was super duper muddy and there were giant rocks. There were rocks as high as this table that I had to drive over. And it was a big deal for me because I was by myself. But you know what I did before I went on this adventure? I made sure I was ready. Yeah, you know, I made sure that I had my, uh, my inflator, right, my compressor. Because when you go on roads like that, you have to let some air out of your tires to be able to get over the big rocks and through the mud. I had to have a way to put air back in the tire, so I took my compressor. I took a first aid kit in case I did something not very wise, which almost came in handy. I found this old fire tower, and I got to climb all the way up on the top of it. It was 106 steps. I counted, and my legs hurt today because I did it. But nevertheless, I did all these amazing things. I made sure that I had something called a winch. You know what a winch is? Put it on the front of a vehicle in case you get stuck. That way you can pull yourself out. What I wanted to make sure before I left my house, I even took a walking stick in case I got stuck and I had to hike my way out. What I made sure before I left was that I was prepared for what was coming. You guys know the Bible talks a lot about being prepared for life. And there's lots of different ways that we can be prepared for life. The biggest way, the most important way that we can be prepared for life is that we know Jesus. But also, knowing Jesus means trusting him. Now, we started talking about this last week, but listen to what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. There's another translation that says, and he shall make your way straight. Now, something is required for us to trust him. It is, it's called wisdom. What wisdom is? Wisdom is not just knowledge. You know, sometimes people confuse that in our world. They think that if you have a lot of knowledge, if you have a lot of information, it makes you wise. But that's not true, right? One example of that is we have phones, right? And we can get on the internet and we can find the answer to pretty much any question that we have. But that doesn't make us wise. Now, I'll give you an example of this. If you look on the internet, you'll find out that the internet says that tomatoes are not actually vegetables. It says that they're fruit. Now, that's knowledge, knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit. But wisdom means not putting it in a fruit salad. 
I can imagine grapes and pineapple that might into a tomato. Wouldn't be very good. Well, the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. In fact, in Proverbs 4, 7, the Bible tells us that as we're preparing for life, as we're going out into the world, the most important thing is knowing Jesus. But next to that, the most important thing is being wise. Now, wisdom is what you do with knowledge, but real biblical wisdom is knowing God and knowing him well enough to trust him in every situation. Trusting him means that instead of doing what we want to do, we go to his word and we find out what he wants us to do as we go through life. Instead of just focusing on what we want, we remember to pray and we remember to ask God to show us what he wants for us because what God wants is best, okay? So I'm going to pray for you guys right now that you would be prepared, that you would seek the Lord's wisdom, right? That he would help you to trust him. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for all the ways that you work. I thank you for Wyatt and for Anna and for uh, all the ways that you have worked in their life up to this point. I pray that you would go with them, that you would help them to be wise, to not just gain information, but to apply it to life well and all through trusting you. Forgive us when we adults don't do that so well. Instead of doing what you want us to do, we do what we want to do. Father, help us to seek your face, to trust in you, to love you, and in so doing, to be wise. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Now let's continue in our time of worship by going to the Lord ourselves in silent prayer, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we have already read from your word, you are the God over all things, including the God of creation, the God of nature. You bring all things to pass, including the changing seasons. And yet, Father, you never change. Your love is always comprehensive, covering all areas of life. Your provision is always sure providing for us in ways that we don't even have the good sense to realize that we need. Your grace and your mercy through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, it knows no bounds. For as your word says, you remove our transgressions from us as far as east is from west. And Father, in all of these things, your name is lifted up. You are glorified. Your majesty is magnified. And yet, oftentimes we miss it. As I just talked about with the children, so often we are not wise. We do not love and trust you as we should. We seek our own ways with our own priorities, despite the fact that, oh, we make a mess out of life when we do that, and yet we do it again. And yet, Father, through Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. Through your Son and our Savior, there is newness of life. There is completeness in this world that is either halfway or no way at all. We thank you for who you are, for what you have done, and for what you will yet do. And as we consider what you are doing right now, we come with grateful hearts knowing that you have heard our prayer, that you are with us, that you are working amongst us. We see that in many ways. We see it with those that are struggling in our midst. Those that are facing illnesses and sicknesses. You have come to their aid. You have brought healing and others are still waiting for healing. But Father, we pray that we would look to you again and again and that you would bring comfort and encouragement. As we look back over our lives, if we'll take the time to do it, we will see that you have been so faithful. 
why the fact that we are here right now points to your faithfulness. As we face the struggles of this life, as we deal with the darkness of the world around us, as we face disappointment and are tempted to lose heart, remind us again and again of your love. Point us again and again to all the ways that you have worked. And Father, help us to be ready to testify to these things to others. As we consider the darkness of the world around us, we recognize that while there are many symptoms of the problem, of the sickness, the real sickness is, we live in a world that has denied you, a world that has rejected you. As your word says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and yet that's what the world around us does. And so, Father, given the real problem that the world faces, we pray for the real remedy that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed, that many, many people would hear and by your Holy Spirit be made alive so that they would respond in faith. Barring this, Father, we may find temporary solutions to temporary symptoms, but truly the answer to what is going on in the world is Jesus Christ. Help us to see the opportunities you give us to take part in this. Realizing that you've made us a part of your grand redemptive plan, that, that you have prepared good works in advance for us to do, help us to see them, to latch on to that opportunity, and to do so with boldness, remembering that the gospel is not about us and what we do, it's about what you have done. It's about your love and your mercy, and you've given us the responsibility but yet also the right, the privilege to reflect that love to others. So Father, please help us do that. As we face turmoil, as we face strife, as we face difficulties along the way, let us turn to you again and again. And in so doing, let us see that you are true to your word. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> Well, it is wonderful to be back with you today as we continue in our series together on the I Ams, the seven I Am statements of Jesus Christ. Those wonderful statements where Jesus reveals who he is, what he's done and what he is doing, and also what he's going to do. Um, the last time that we were together, we found ourselves in John chapter 11 with the amazing story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but even more amazing truths that pointed uh, to, to reported out when Jesus made his statement to Martha and his statement for all those around him, I am the resurrection and the life. I say this as an amazing truth because it points not only to what Jesus is going to do on that last day, namely that the dead in Christ shall rise. It points to that, but it also points to the amazing truth that knowing and loving Jesus is not just about what will happen one day. Christianity isn't about one day. It's about today. It's about what Jesus can do for you right here, right now. Jesus is the resurrection. It's true. Points to the last day. But he's also the life. Right here, right now. And so, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful to recognize that Christianity isn't about eternal fire insurance. It's not about heaven one day. Following Christ is about what you're going to do today. That's also about the wonderful freedom that you have in Christ. As we read in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This isn't about what might happen one day. It's about the opportunity you have right now to trust Christ, to live in light of what he has done. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I don't know about you, but I think that is amazing stuff. I mean, think about what's going on in the world around you. Think about how contrary this idea is to that which the world presents. Think about the things that, that people believe. 
the causes that people latch onto because they believe it'll bring about change and, and it'll give them hope and, and it also lets them be a part of something bigger than themselves. And it doesn't matter if what's bigger than themselves is bankrupt. It doesn't matter if it's faulty, if it's a fraud. It doesn't even matter to people that usually those causes that the world provides are really all about getting you to spend money on something that they'll profit from. People don't even think about that stuff. And it's so sad because they fall into this stuff and it's not only dead-end thinking, it's full of unfulfilled promises that only breed more and more disappointment and discord. It, they have real world consequences. I mean, it, it, these are things, y'all think about it, really think about it. There is stuff coming out now that even five years ago, we would have said, come on, really? You really think that's going to happen? Did you ever wonder that people would be uh, trying to figure out which bathroom they ought to go to? I didn't see that coming. But yet... Here we are. Um, you even have this thing going on now. The latest thing that I heard about is, you know, cattle, livestock are really bad for the environment. I don't know if you knew that. Let me educate you. And so people say, but you know what? Crickets, <clears throat> millworms, a lot of protein and bugs. So, uh, you know, we're really going to get serious about changing the weather. You know, and it sounds so ludicrous. Eating bugs stops the weather. How arrogant can you be, right? It's crazy talk. But people latch on to this sort of thing. We'll stop eating cattle because they're bad for the environment, but we'll just eat bugs instead. Let me tell you something. I guarantee the people that floated this idea out there will be enjoying steak sometime in the near future. It is for thee, not for them. Okay? That's always. You don't know this is how life works. That's always how life works. We live in this time. You know, G.K. Chesterton, philosopher, theologian, said, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. What about the time that we're living in? Oh, we're open-minded. And people's brains are falling out. Y'all believing nonsense, promoting foolery. I'm like, goodness, it, it's terrible the things that are going on. It's ignorant. It's stupid. Ignorance is just a lack of information. Uh, stupidity takes it up a notch, right? It's when you have information that you ignore it. Um, the same people, you know, we said the Apostles' Creed this morning. Have you seen the secular Apostles' Creed? Science is real. Black lives matter. No human is illegal. Love is love. Women's rights are human rights. Kindness is everything. As long as you agree with them, and then they're not so kind. But you have people saying things like this. It starts with, science is real. And then they say that men can get pregnant. Hmm? Things that biologically don't even make sense. But y'all know that's how the theology and the philosophy of the world works. As I've often said, we can be angry about this stuff. We can be upset about it. We should not, however, be surprised about it. Y'all, the Bible tells us what's going on. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's what Psalm 14.1 says. So we shouldn't be surprised when a world that has rejected God, that is full of fools, does foolish things. Shouldn't be surprised. We can be angry. Shouldn't be surprised. But where we should be absolutely incensed, where we should shout from the rooftops, is when supposed churches trade the truth of God's word for the lies of the world. I say supposed because churches that deny the truth of the Bible, they aren't churches at all. They may look like churches. They may have a pulpit like this one. But those buildings are not churches. They may have an individual in a robe even, or a suit, or maybe it's skinny jeans and a t-shirt. Don't worry, that will never happen here, okay? Nevertheless, they may be dressed like that, and they may pretend to be a minister. But they are, in fact, scoundrels. Tools of Satan, wolves sneaking to, seeking to snatch away and, and to devour. And while there are many manifestations of this, Many areas in which this, these supposed churches, but which are actually synagogues of Satan, there's many areas where they have traded the truth of God's word for a lie. There is one area that rises above the rest. There is one truth that is denied either outright or is never preached from the pulpit in those synagogues of Satan. And side note, which is worse? For a pastor to preach against a biblical idea or just to never, ever talk about it. The end result is the same. There are many wolves out there that are too cowardly to even preach on certain subjects because they don't want to reveal what they really believe about it. And so they avoid them. But while there are many subjects that fit into that category, the chief of which, in my opinion, the number one biblical truth that these false pastors deny 
that most definitely is denied by the world around us, it's found in our text today. And it just so happens that it is revealed in the next of Jesus' I Am statements, wherein he claims to be God, and at the same time reveals who he is and what he does. And where we find that next I Am statement, you guessed it, is in the Gospel according to John. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there with me. The Gospel according to John, chapter 14 is where we are going to be today. Now, as you're turning there, again, last week we came to Jesus' I am statement in John 11, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, later on we go on to raise Lazarus from the dead. Well, that's in the first 44 verses of chapter 11. If you were to read the final portion of chapter 11, you'd find out that the Pharisees really have to kick things up. Right? They knew they had to do something about Jesus before, but now they know that they have to kill him. You know, they reason, maybe we can do something with a guy that does healings here and there, but he's raising people from the dead, so he's got to go. What do you do with a guy like that? Now, we might hear that and say, well, obviously, the answer is that you worship him as Lord. But they obviously did not see it that way. They start to plot even more heavily against Jesus. That's how chapter 11 ends. Chapter 12 details Jesus' anointing at Bethany, also his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he's greeted with a shout of, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Pharisees knew they had a real problem, you see. Of course, many of those shouts, Hosanna, Hosanna, would turn to crucify him, crucify him. But nevertheless, they knew that they had a problem. Chapter 13 details the events of the Last Supper wherein Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And also Peter's betrayal, right there at the end of chapter 13. Peter's betrayal was predicted. Okay, uh, So if you're following the timeline, then you'll know that by the time we get to chapter 14, where we're picking up today, Jesus is coming very close to the end of his earthly ministry. Now realize he has hid nothing from his disciples. Right? He's told them that he's going to be lifted up, that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to die for their sins and the sins of all those who would trust him. So he's been transparent about that. And so where we're picking up is in chapter 14, where Jesus continues along that same vein, both, both teaching his disciples, but also comforting them about the fact that what is going to happen very soon will result in him leaving them. He's clear about this. But he's also clear about the fact that death is not the end for them. Instead, he promises so much more. And it's in these promises that we find the I am statement that we come to today. So, such wonderful promises, but also wonderful truths that the world and false teachers around you would deny. So let's read our passage and find out what these are. John chapter 14, we're going to start reading in verse 1. But before we read anything, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would guide us in this time. That, that by your Holy Spirit, you would turn the lights on for us to see, yes. But also, all of us brings baggage into this time. The baggage of the last week, the baggage of perhaps a week that took place decades ago. We have so many things that latch on to us, so many scars, so much pain, such as the nature of this life. Hence your son weeping in John 11 when he knew he would raise Lazarus from the dead. We know that you know us. We know that you understand us better than we understand ourselves and you have compassion. So would you take compassion on us now, Father? so that we would be able to focus on your word, so that we would interpret your word in light of our lives, yes, but not just in light of our experience, instead in light of the truth. You're not always mutually exclusive, but sometimes our experiences can weigh us down. So please guide us now by your spirit that we would see what you would have us to. And as a result, leave here and change people. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is him speaking. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. 
You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. So, <clears throat> completing our reading at verse 7, we've just heard the next of Jesus' I am statements. But to what end? What's going on in our passage? Prior to reading, I mentioned that Jesus was in the midst of teaching his disciples, right? About, about that which was to come. But what I didn't remark on specifically, I referenced it, but what I didn't remark on was how chapter 13 ends. <clears throat> Excuse me, if you flip back a page or so, uh, if you have those nifty chapter headings, which are not inspired, but they are helpful, you'll find that chapter 13 ends with Peter's betrayal prophesied by Christ. That moment where Peter says, no, Lord, I'll never turn against you. And Jesus says, not only will you, you'll do it three times by the time the rooster crows. But before prophesying Peter's betrayal, Jesus was once again speaking of his coming death. And he alludes to the fact that he is going to rise again, that he's going to return to heaven. And that's very important, y'all, given what we've just read in chapter 14. Because our passage begins by Jesus saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What we see is that Jesus begins this way in reference to telling his disciples that he's about to go. He starts this way because he's just said he's going to leave them. And where he's going, they can't go at that time. They would go there, but they couldn't go there at that time. And y'all realize Jesus is not just talking about death here. He's talking about his ascension into heaven, his going to glory. But the disciples don't know that yet, or at least they don't explicitly understand that yet. All they know is that Jesus has said he's going to die. He's going to rise again. But they're still facing this thing that still terrifies us to this day. You know what they're facing? They're facing the unknown. And I like this picture because it shows the haziness, the staticky side of the unknown. They love Jesus. They follow Jesus. But now Jesus is talking about leaving them and they don't know what they're going to do. Yet, what is Jesus' answer to them? Well, his answer to them is the same as God's word answers us every day, right? The, the concept of the unknown has always been troubling to humankind. We want to know what's coming. At least we think we want to know what's coming. I think sometimes if we did, that would not work out so well. But we think we want to know what's coming. We want to have life packaged up, ready to go. And so when the unknown enters into the equation, it's always been frightening for people was frightening for the disciples. And yet, what does Jesus say about moving forward? Again, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, we're going to move on from this, but I got a couple of side notes here, and then we're going to move on. Side note number one. I talked about this last week, but John 14, 1 ought to do away with any silly notion we might have about Jesus never claiming to be God. You know, there are scholars out there that say that. They say, oh no, Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses really like to do this. But nevertheless, they, they, they come with this idea that, that Jesus never claimed to be God in the flesh. That he always just claimed to be God the Son. Y'all, that just doesn't match up with what we find going on here. And also, him evoking the name of God in his I Am statements. That's something completely separate. But really, this ought to do away with any silly notion we might have about Jesus just being a prophet, or Jesus being just some really wise teacher, anything like that. Jesus' instructions for the disciple is that they are to believe him, that they are to trust in him with the same measure of trust that they trust in God. Jesus has equated himself to God here. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He doesn't draw a line of distinction between himself and God because in fact, Jesus is Lord and God. 
And that's an important concept, especially in light of the I am statement we come to today and what Jesus said about himself. Now, there's a second side note here, and I've just got a comment on this. Did you notice what Jesus said to his disciples? Pay attention to what he started by saying, because it has implications for you and me today and human beings for all of mankind, for all of time. Jesus specifically said, and this isn't just in the English translation, the Greek bears it out as well. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, something is very important going on here. Something important is implied here. Jesus specifically said not to let your heart be troubled. That implies that we have a certain measure of control over what our hearts do and feel. Do you realize that? There's no denying that troubling things come to pass. But what Jesus tells the disciples is to not let their hearts continue to be troubled. And this is important because what Jesus has just revealed is that while none of us plan the emotions that we have, none of us are going to sit down today and say, all right, <clears throat> Sunday afternoon, Monday, I'm going to be angry all day. Tuesday, I'm going to be happy. Wednesday, I'm going to be depressed. And then Thursday, I'm going to be happy all over again. But then Friday, I'm going to be really, really angry. None of us plan our emotions out. We don't. Emotions come to us. However, the extremely important thing that is revealed here is that Jesus is telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, you have control over what your heart does. They got to choose how they responded to the emotions they faced. Guess what? You and I get to do the same. And as a result, you and I are responsible to how we react to life's various situations. Now, in case you're wondering, what is he even talking about here? Let me tell you something. I can't tell you the amount of times I have worked with people, I've counseled people, and I've heard things like, he made me so angry. She broke my heart. Now, I'm not denying here that people can do things to trigger us. Please understand that. I'm not denying that people can do things that might lead us to anger. But what Jesus revealed here, and it's just a side note, but it's extremely important. You are responsible for your choices, including how you choose to react to somebody else. Don't say, he made me so angry. He might have done something that could lead to anger, but you choose to be angry. You choose to fill in the blank. It's your heart. What this all comes down to is you can't control anybody else, but you can control you. Now, again, that's just a side note. That's not what this text is fully about. This concept is revealed elsewhere in God's word, but I couldn't just skip over it, y'all. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The disciples had control. You have control. Now, back to the text and what Jesus tells them to do, or, or why Jesus tells them this. Why does he tell them? To not let their hearts be troubled and to believe in it. Well, verses 2 and 3 are just so wonderful. And they're so logical. Look at it again. <clears throat> Jesus said, in my Father's house, right, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. The reason Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled is because of this wonderful, logical progression of promises that Jesus makes. Why shouldn't their hearts be troubled? Number one, there's plenty of room in heaven. That's that whole business about in his father's mansion, there are many rooms. And not only is there plenty of room, Jesus says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. And not only that, it's this logical conclusion that Jesus makes where he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, if I do the work necessary to prepare the place, then obviously I'm going to come and take you to that place. But what's important for us to realize here, and again, wonderful promises. There's a reason why when I do funerals, almost all the time people ask that John 14, 1 through 7 be read. And it's because of this. It's just this logical progression. It all points to God's goodness. It all points to Jesus' love. It points to the promise of an eternity. And wonderful, wonderful stuff. The problem is when we don't apply this the correct way. What do I mean by that? My friends, the value of this is in who these promises are actually for. And who are these promises for? 
Go back to verse 1. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then Jesus makes the promises in light of this command. These promises, heaven and eternity with him, these promises are for those who believe in Christ. Not just in his existence. Not just in his identity. These promises are for those who believe that Jesus is Lord and God. For people who know Jesus. What Jesus is doing here is he's talking about real faith. Real belief. Not this cheap garbage that the world sells. Jesus tells his disciples. And he tells all those who really believe in who he is and what he has done. He tells them what he's going to do. These promises are only for the people who really believe in him. It's those people whose hearts should not be troubled. And so by extension, if you don't believe in him, if you don't know if Jesus isn't really Lord of your life, then your heart is going to be troubled. Getting back to this concept of the unknown, the greatest taboo in our society is death. You realize that? It is the greatest of unknowns. People just guess at it. Most people deny the existence of hell. Everybody seems to believe in heaven these days. But people don't really know. You want to know why the world is so crazy? That's why. Because all these things go on in the world around us and nobody has an answer for it that doesn't know the Lord. And the reality is, is that this promise of eternity within it, y'all, it works the same way on the other way around. If you don't know Jesus, you'll be separated from him forever in hell. Now do you see why it's so important to believe in Jesus, to really believe in him, to really know him, to really love him? And a follow-up to this, Jesus said in verse 4, he finishes by saying, you know the way to where I'm going. And yet in verse 5, we have Thomas again. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And y'all... How Jesus responds is so important. It's the most important truth ever. That's why, as I said before reading the text, what Jesus is about to say, what's about to be revealed in God's word, is the chief truth that the world around you denies. It is the chief truth that the false churches around you deny. Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He missed it. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reason Jesus could say in verse 4, you know the where, you know where I'm going. Thomas said, well, the, Jesus could say that because he's the way. And this is so extremely important, the most important truth ever because it does away. With the world's faulty notion that there are many ways to God, whoever he or she may be. Some people call God Allah. Some people call God Yahweh, some Buddha. And there are many ways to God, whoever he or she may be. Jesus is just one of many ways, so let's just all coexist. That is the trash that the world preaches to you. And it has one destination, and it's hell. It is the theology of hell preached by the begotten of the pit. And I don't care if they have a church sign out front. I don't care if that individual is ordained. He might as well be ordained by his or her father, Satan, because this is a lie from hell. And it smells like smoke, the idea that there is any other way to the Father except through the Son. The idea that there is any other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you all something. This idea that I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, we're all on the same journey, it's not true. We are not all on the same journey. For those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, they're on the same journey because their journey is to that place that Jesus has prepared. And I mean for those really trusting, not for those that are trusting their baptism, their grandmama, their intellect, their money, none of those things. For those really trusting in Jesus alone, all those people are on the journey to the place that he has prepared for us. Everybody else is on a different journey. Those who don't know Jesus are on a journey to hell. And what the world wants more than anything else, what Satan wants more than anything else, is for people to just keep trudging along on their way to hell by believing that Jesus isn't necessary for salvation or that Jesus is just one of many ways. That's why this is the chief truth denied by the world around you and by false churches around you. 
They deny the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. The church does it in many different forms. It's not always as obvious. It might be the Presbyterian Church in Lexington that has the Muslim imam come in. The Muslims' version of a priest come in and talk about Islam. That's one way that they deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's one reason it's the theology of hell. And whoever their pastor is and whoever their elders are, I don't know who they are. But they've forgotten the simple truth of God's word. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You can't get more clear than what Jesus said here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is exclusive language. This can't Either this is true or it's false. And if this is true, this means all the other things that the world says will lead you to heaven, your works, your goodness, your God basically having this cosmic scale where he weighs things out and maybe you'll get in and maybe you won't. The same as Islam, the same as Buddhism, the same as you name it. Either Jesus is telling the truth here or he's a liar. Either he's telling the truth or the world is telling the truth. It cannot be both. A lot of this, you can see why Satan and the world want to discredit him. Jesus said, believe in God. Believe also in me. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So obviously the world will deny our passage today and his I am statements. But again, that's to be expected. For the churches to do it. Remember what Jesus said about causing his little ones to sin. For those that do it, it's better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. They will reap the whirlwind. And why? Why does Jesus make this such a big deal? Can't he be cool and just say, well, maybe you can believe in me, maybe you don't have to believe in me. Why can't Jesus do that? Y'all, it's not a matter of his disposition or anything like that. Jesus is so insistent that salvation comes by him and him alone because of who he is. Because of his identity. Because of how human existence works. Look, we have a finite body. Some of us grow old and die. Some of us don't even make it to when we're old and we die. Our bodies are finite, but because we are created in God's image, we have an eternal soul. And that eternal soul must have an eternal destination. And your soul cannot be with God unless your soul is holy. Not his rules. This is a matter of identity. This is a matter of existence. You can't be with God unless you're holy. And either you will be holy by your own works or you will be holy by the works of Jesus Christ. And the problem is, is that none of us will work our way there. We're done before we get started. We will never be holy enough. That's why we must believe in Jesus. He paid for our sins. And to that end, Jesus puts the capstone on it all by saying what he said in verse 7. He says, if you know me, you will also know my father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Who is this Jesus? Why is he the only means of salvation? It's because Jesus is Lord and God, that's why. And he leaves no room for any other teaching. I don't care who it is. I don't care how many acrobatics you do with the text, how you try to twist the... By the way, the, the devil is the one that's best at twisting God's word. It doesn't matter how you twist it. You cannot twist it away from what Jesus is saying here. These cults out here that try to say that Jesus never claimed to be God. How do you explain this? He says, if you've seen me, you have seen God. He testifies to who he is. That's why he says, you've seen me, you've seen God. And that day, just prior to his crucifixion, Jesus put his disciples in a position where they would either deny him as Lord and God or they'd believe him, trust him. And I aim to do the same with you. And so I ask, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Alone? Nothing else? If so, then praise be to God. Don't let your heart be troubled. Life, as we talked about last week, life takes turns. Disappointment happens. We get angry with people. People disappoint us. Life is built of such things. But don't let your heart be troubled. Keep your focus on what matters. That this life is not all there is. Remember, don't let your hearts be troubled. But if you don't know him, I pray that your heart will be troubled. 
that you'll turn to him today and not wait. For either Jesus is coming back, or you're going to meet him. And if you don't know him, you will be cast away. And again, that's because of his identity as Lord. If you don't know him, trust him now. If you want to talk, come and get me out from under the portico and we'll talk. Receive the free offer of the gospel so that your heart will be stilled. Your heart will be filled with a joy that is not comparable to anything else on this earth. The joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you for your word, for all of its implications. We thank you for this clear teaching of Jesus Christ. This teaching that leaves no room for any other thing. That, that he's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to you. I pray that the world around us that denies us, denies this would see the truth. And I pray that those churches that aren't really churches at all, that preach contrary to what your son has said here, I pray that they would either come to know you or that you would shut them up for the lies that they tell. Father, we praise you that in this in the midst of darkness, in the midst of gloom, in the midst of despair, there is joy, there is life, there is salvation, and it is only through Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Now let's close by taking our hymnals and singing one of my favorites, hymn 338, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed God. Let's stand together as we sing hymn number 338. <laughs>
receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.